bats uh, may not be the most loved members of the animal kingdom. They're certainly very cool. We found out last night that they communicate in unbelievably sophisticated ways. Um, but we're not really able to see all that they do. They are super useful, consumers of agricultural pests, pollinators of plants, cyclers of nutrients. And as the old Joni Mitchell song goes, you really don't know what it's got until it's gone. In this case, they aren't gone, but they are under threat from a familiar combination of human activity, loss of habitat and food sources, predators such as cats, we'll find out in just a minute, uh, but also an unfamiliar one, something called white nose syndrome. Joining me now with more on this is Kaylee Byers. She's Regional Deputy Director at the British Columbia Node of the Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative um, and also a research associate at Simon Fraser University. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Thanks so much for having me on and thank you for invoking Joni Mitchell. What a delight. I thought that was a, a <laughs> yeah. great reference. Try to throw in one 70s reference an evening, you know, just, to, just for posterity. <laughs> That's a good goal. It is. Um, bats, are, bats really are underappreciated, aren't they? They're incredibly underappreciated. I think we often tend to just think of bats as one collective uh, group of mammals, but they're incredibly diverse. They're actually the second most diverse group of mammals after rodents out there. There's so many different species, and they provide so many benefits to us. I think in part it's because we have this myth that uh, they're just rats with wings, which they absolutely are not. They are, they are entirely different animals. So I think they're just a bit misunderstood. I always thought it was partially the sort of the vampire bat thing, too. You kind of grow up being afraid. of. They're, they're associated with sort of spookiness, right? Dark places, you know, things you can't see. They don't see, you know, they make funny noises. There's something about, they're very, in some way, and I don't, I don't use this word lightly, they're, they're quite alien in a strange way. Yeah, I think, I mean, part of it you, you touched on earlier is that, you know, they do most of their good at night. So we don't tend to interact with them all that often, except in, in dark hours, maybe seeing them flying by can be a little bit startling. And yeah, we might um, tend to think of bats as vampire bats, but there's so many species and many of them feed on insects. You touched on agricultural pests or other human pests like mosquitoes that we don't tend to love all that much. Well, bats eat them too. And in other places in the world, we've got flying foxes that you know feed on fruit. So many, many, again, different species with very different ecologies. So what are, I mean, you've looked into this now, you studied, you looked at the 15 different species, I believe, that are in British Columbia. What have you found? Um, what's happening to them? Yeah, so you know what's interesting is um, we had very little understanding of causes of bat mortality in the province. And your listeners might be listening and thinking, why would you want to study why something dies? Isn't that a little bit morbid? But at the Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative, we do something called a wildlife health surveillance. And so by understanding why animals are dying, it's, it's really important because it can help us support them to live. By identifying reasons for their mortality, we can find opportunities for conservation or to support local populations. And so in BC, we have the most uh, diverse population of bats in Canada. There's 19 species in Canada and, and 15 of them. We have 15 species in British Columbia. And we really had no idea of why it was they were dying. So or what are some of the causes that, uh, of their death? And so we uh, collected bats at the Animal Health Centre in British Columbia. That's our provincial uh, veterinary lab, and it's uh, one of the nodes of the Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative. And we looked at 275 bats, and uh, we found that about 24% of those had died due to cats, so cat predation. 
And another 23% had died by blunt force trauma. And, and when I say that, what I mean is things like car collisions or running into garage doors, for example. So primarily human-associated causes. You found there was a difference, and this was um, was interesting, that, of course, the cat predation actually has a more detrimental effect on the bat population because they tend to target females uh, and females that are of sort of birthing age. I'm not sure what a birthing age for a bat is, but in other words, very important members of the group. Yeah, Ben, I'm so glad that you brought this up because it wasn't surprising that cats had killed bats. Cats are (laughs) famous predators. In Australia, there was a study that found that uh, collectively cats kill about 390 million animals a year. Uh, And there was another um, documented case in New Zealand of a single cat killing something like 100 birds. And I'm sitting with my cat currently on my lap. And although she is very cuddly, I know she would attack the birds outside my window the second she got the chance. But what was surprising is, like you mentioned, that we found that cats had predated on um, female bats and bats that were in good body condition. So why that's surprising is so for female bats, they tend to do something um, here in BC with our species, uh, have maternity roosts. So that's where females will roost together and give birth to and care for their young. And so it could be that a cat could get into a maternity roost and kill several bats in an evening. And that's concerning because um, our species of bats in BC really only have one to two babies a year. And so by killing those female bats, we're really having a significant impact on their reproduction. And and the good body condition, that's interesting, too, because we looked at, you know, what kind of general health were these bats in? And and body condition is based off of fat. So if you've got a little bit more fat, you've got some more energy. And cats had killed bats in good body condition, which suggested that those those bats would have been otherwise probably fine. They, They wouldn't have died by another cause of death. So cats preferentially killing some of those healthier uh, female bats. Yeah, and I, I wasn't too too surprised to learn that that the male bats tend tend to be the ones that fly into things and and hurt themselves. But that, I don't want to be I don't want to I don't want to prejudge anything. So are we? In, I mean, and one of the things you brought up that I had no idea about was something called white nose syndrome, which I gather has been quite detrimental to bats right all over the place. Yeah, it's incredibly um, destructive. The Latin name literally has destructans in it. And so white nose syndrome um, was first introduced to North America in in 2006, and it's a fungus. And it affects hibernating bats, and so it gets on the skin, um, and it depletes, we think, energy stores. So it sort of wakes bats up during their hibernation, and they're using up more of their energy, and and they'll die. Um, And we've seen since its introduction, about 6 million bats have died because of white-nose syndrome. Um, and in Canada, it's been making its way further and further west. So right now, it's not in British Columbia, but it's been absolutely terrible out in the eastern provinces. We've seen 94% declines in populations of little brown bats and northern bats. And um, we just had a detected case in July in Saskatchewan of white-nose syndrome, which is quite concerning And it's also across the border in um, Washington state. And so it's really only a matter of time until it's in BC, which is why monitoring for it and monitoring causes of death uh, among bats generally is so important. Which would be a big concern because so many of the species are here, right? And and for now protected from it, but but not, as you mentioned, maybe not for much longer. Um, What kind of shape 
is the bat population in? Is there cause for concern? I mean, we, we always worry about species, but what did you find on that front? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And I'm not entirely aware of, you know, what our population declines look like in BC. Those numbers for, I, I mentioned those two species um, in, the, in the eastern provinces. We know that uh, in BC, half of the species we have are at risk. So they're at risk of becoming threatened or endangered. So we're, we're concerned about them. And two of those species, again, the northern bat and the little brown bat, are endangered. And so um, what we need to be able to, to do to understand this better is to essentially track bat populations over time and, and count them and see what their numbers are. In BC, we've got the community uh, BC Community Bat Program, which is incredible, and it's got lots of community scientists who help um, track and, and monitor bat populations. And many provinces have similar programs. So, if any of your listeners are interested in contributing and helping to track bats, uh, I would suggest looking up some of these community bat programs online. Yeah, I noticed you had some good online resources uh, that people can go look just to just sort of figure out what's happening in their area. So you, you recommend that people actually go and have a look there. And if they're interested, they can figure out how to use them and how to contribute if they'd like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of our work at the Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative is so dependent on community engagement. I mean, really, the public is an absolutely essential community partner because we can't be everywhere all the time to find dead or sick wildlife. And so contributing through the Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative, or again, um, looking up your local bat community program to maybe participate is a great way to to help out. And there's also something I was reading. I know I live in a condo, so this is not going to help at all, but you can create bat-friendly spaces too, right? Yeah. Uh, some of the programs out here um, are around bat houses, so they can actually construct bat houses that bats can stay in. Um, there's also ways to uh, help for bats like on in structures that you already have so an, another misconception about bats actually is that they'll like gnaw their way into your home they won't do that rodents do rodents have gnawing mouth parts I spent um, most of my <laughs> scientific career studying rats <laughs> so uh, very right. familiar okay. with their gnawing <laughs> but uh, but bats will really just get in if there happens to be cracks and crevices that they that they can get into the home and so Keeping them out of your indoor spaces is, of course, important. But if you see them, you know, roosting and in underhangs and things like that, that's generally fine. How did you make the leap from rats to bats? Oh, <laughs> well, I didn't necessarily, I mean, I, I find both of these groups at animals so interesting. Um, generally, I'm, I'm really on board with the underappreciated mammals. But right. I, I consider myself to be more of a wildlife health biologist. And so really all wildlife are fair game. Yeah, but you like the underdog, so to speak. That's, I uh, truly that's... do. I really like the underdogs. Well, Kaylee Byers, it's been fascinating. Thanks so much. Thanks very much for having me on.